Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lubitin. This week on the show, my conversation with Oakland's soulful singing T-Sisters. That's Erica, Chloe, and Rachel. Let me give you a choice. What music hits you right in your gut? I mean, right now. Music without effects, without accompaniment. Music that hits you in the echoey stairway of an old bar or under the covers in your apartment at 2 a.m. For me, it's the human voice. No guitars, no drums, just people in a room singing as one. It's why I went to church as a kid. Not for the talk of God and his possible grace. Not for the cute girls in the youth group. It was for the voices. Everyone young and old coming together in that big room singing as one. What's better than two sisters singing harmony from the moment they could talk? How about three of them? I've met the T-Sisters playing concerts and festivals around the Bay Area probably seven years ago now. And after seeing them in old vaudeville theaters and in dingy dives, I know one thing. These ladies are harmonic masters. Whether it's demonstrated by their sassy, folky originals, accompanied by upright bass, guitar, banjo, and mandolin, or with their delicious vocal layer cake covers of Kylie Minogue and Paul Simon hits that get people dancing, in the end, it's about the blend. Each sister has their own texture, their own vocal special sauce. So if they're coming through your town and you want to hear some great harmonies, get a ticket. It's worth it. And guess what? I just heard that March 15th they will be dropping a new EP produced by Oliver Wood of the Wood Brothers. Look, if you stuck with me and listened to the first 17 episodes of this show, you can probably tell I dig a lot of types of music, and I love it all equally. Has that been difficult to reconcile as a songwriter? Maybe. But I used to have this beat-up sharp 6-CD changer back in Chicago growing up, and it would rotate at random through my favorite artists. It was like taking a tour of the inside of my musical brain. Boom. It would put on Wilco's Summer Teeth. Boom. Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald singing Gershwin. Boom. Beatles. Rubber Soul. Boom. Nirvana unplugged in New York. Boom. Carol King's Tapestry. Boom. Four Non Blondes. Radio hit. Boom. Andrew Sisters singing about that dreamy bugle boy from Company C. I liked it all, and for different reasons. But after a while, you realize you keep coming back to the one thing that makes you stop and makes your eyes glaze over, makes everything a bit sweeter. It's harmony. Bone deep in the blood, atomically intertwined harmony. Especially sister harmony. For my guests, the T-Sisters, singing isn't just the full-time job that puts them in a van and puts them in concert halls across the country, and it is. It's kind of a way of life. And from the very beginning, it's what they do. Damn, do they do it well. Well, let's hear it from them now. The T-Sisters. everybody i'm rachel i'm chloe and i'm erica and uh can you tell us what you guys play music music hey <laughs> how would you do <laughs> would you say it's more uh acoustic music rather than electric music or you guys are expanding right now 
We do a combination of acoustic and electric, but we are starting to expand into some more electric avenues, if you know what I mean. Yes. Dance hits. Yeah, a little EDM. Gonna take you higher. (laughs) No EDM yet, but maybe some remixes in the future. For the stadium rockers that Mm -hmm. you're preparing to play. Yes. You guys don't come down to L.A. all that often, right? There's a couple times a year. A couple times a year. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's uh, it feels like it's pretty it's pretty tough to impress people down here, and I feel like yes. it takes a while. And I, I always tell bands that you know give LA a shot, like give give people a chance here. It, it takes a little time to warm them up. Sure, yeah. Um, and you guys are pretty charming, so I feel like. Do you feel like there's things that you do? when you feel an audience is not on your side, that you can instantly bring them on your side. Mm. Talk shit to them. <laughs> Picture them naked. No, Sometimes singing question. a cappella song, yeah. sometimes that will help to kind of um, focus a crowd, quiet them down, get them into like the raw sound of what's happening instead of trying to play over them. So that's one tool we use. Yeah, I think some of your acapella stuff, uh, the song, the Paul Simon cover you do especially, um, which I think is better than the original. Oh, thanks, um, Is something that makes people lean forward and kind of be like, this is magical, whatever is happening here, and I'm going to take my cynicism of trying to be impressed all the time by everything I see and lay that aside. Mm-hmm. And there's something about harmony that is, I think, still the most powerful thing in music, no matter what genre. Mm. Um, and you are sisters. Yes, true. Um, two of you are twins. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you feel like the blend is something that has always been there, or you had to learn to blend with each other? That's a good question, Zach. We did come to the blend very naturally, but we also found that as we developed more as singers and our own individual styles started to come out more and more, we had to kind of circle back to the blend and really work again on getting back to that blend, losing a little bit of your individual voice for the sake of the blend. Yeah, there's a selflessness that has to come into it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Shed the ego. Make the blend. I mean, was there a point where one of you was like, I kind of want to be the lead singer of this group, or is that not a thing that happened? Definitely not a thing that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Three leads. Yeah. Three leads. It's a good model. And a lot of bands that we like, I think, a lot of bands that we like um, do some of that, like sharing of the lead, and I think it creates a more dynamic an interesting sound because you're you're hearing different voices and different styles instead of just the same voice leading on every song. So I think it adds a lot to um, to a performance as well to have that switching around happening. And do you remember what your first official show was? Was it when you were kids? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on how far you want to go back. Go um, all the go all the way back. <laughs> all the way back. I would say, well, we used to do a little bit of singing with our dad when we were real little kids. He had this group of of people 
in San Francisco that would get together and talk about spirituality and sing songs. And um, we used to go with him when we were kids. And the the guy who led the group, who was sort of the spiritual mentor for all these folks, he would give us silver dollars when we would sing with our dad. So those were our first paid performances. Silver dollars? That's yeah. very dollars. specific. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been, we've been professional since we were children, basically, <laughs> since we were paid as children. Did you grow up in Oakland proper? Um, we were in Berkeley and then Piedmont, which is kind of a little suburb of Oakland. What do your folks do? Our mom is a personal trainer, and she came from the aerobics dance world. Well, the dance world and then the aerobics world. And that's actually where our parents met. They were both doing dance when they met. Our dad was doing dance and theater and music. And and then he had three children with my mom. And then he went into a more corporate life doing a... Corporate dance? Computer. Yeah, corporate dance. Doing stuff. The yeah. <laughs> Pay for the children. Software engineering stuff. Being a responsible Very, adult. Very, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he, um, he is kind of officially, unofficially retired now, but he spends, he works a lot. He builds furniture. He builds beautiful custom furniture and. That's cool. Like hand painted and carved and all kinds of cool stuff. So. Do you, yeah, do you guys feel easy. like being an adult in our 30s now that it, mm-hmm. you start to realize that it's a deliciously irresponsible profession that we've chosen? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like how, how do you be a responsible adult when you're on the road yeah. 150 days a year? It's yeah. weird. I think you just have to feel grateful and lucky every day. We feel lucky that we get to do this profession and that we are exploring all these. We're challenging ourselves every day and we get to meet new people and travel to new places all the time. We may not ever be able to buy a house or... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not in the Bay Area. (laughs) Kansas is waiting for you. But every day is a a new adventure, so... When did you guys start doing this full time? It's been four years, four and a half years, five mm-hmm. years. <laughs> Ten four, years? Four and a half years. <laughs> yeah, it was um, December of 2013. Um, I think that was our, was that our first tour? We came down south with the honey drops, actually. We came, so this is kind of an anniversary of sorts, coming to Southern California with the California honey drops. Um, and right after that, we were all officially done with our our workday jobs and trying to figure out the music thing. Which which jobs did you leave in the dust? I was a, this is Rachel speaking, I was a web developer for a small firm in Oakland. I was, this is Chloe, I was doing a couple jobs. I was always kind of of piecing it together. Um, I was a personal assistant for a woman who was a management, she was the CEO of a management consulting firm, and I was also working production at an event space, so building stages and setting up sound systems and stuff. And I was working for a small test preparation company, so teaching kids how to take the SAT and the ACT and 
a lot of other tests. All very responsible. And you guys mm-hmm. live in a, an interesting space in yes. Oakland that also doubles as a variety show theater. It does, or it did. Um, we haven't been hosting the variety show at our theater home space because we got a notice from the city of Oakland that Ooh. was asking us for permits, and we thought maybe we should try doing the event somewhere else. But we're actually going to look into the permits and see what, what it actually will take to to be able to do the show in our space again. But it was nice. It's been nice to do it um, in a different space, a community center kind of space, and a little bigger. And you know, it's it's still evolving. We've been doing the variety show for about ten years, and it's it's constantly evolving. <laughs> How many days are you on the road? Do you think? Um, I think we played a hundred gigs last year. So with all the travel and stuff, I don't know, maybe. 130, 140. It's hard to say because sometimes, you know, if you play in your home area and you go play a gig and you come home, right, there's just not any travel involved. So I'm not sure exactly how many, somewhere around there. What is the, uh, can you name the other, the dudes who join you? The dudes, you bet. We've got Steve Height playing the upright bass. Steve. Yeah. Andy Allen Follander plays electric guitar and mandolin. And we have Marlon Aldana on the drums. That's that's a little bit of a newer development, right? The drums? It's been a couple of years. But yeah, newer. Newer. Yeah, Marlon recorded on our <clears throat> well, the last two releases, so our last EP that came out um in October of twenty seventeen and then our our last full-length album, our self-titled album, which came out in 2016. So I think that was, we had been playing with Marlon for maybe six months or so before we got him on board for the album, or maybe a year. So yeah, it's 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 newer. Newer, yeah. The um, It seems like there's this interesting trend right now in, in bands that we know in the sort of folk community that are all sort of going electric at the same time, you know? Like we're all <laughs> yeah. doing our, our Dylan at Newport moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, totally. But there's something about the need for a little harder, deeper, yeah. harder-hitting sound. I'm, I'm curious why you think that is right now. Well, I think as you... It, depending on the venue, you know, playing bigger venues, I think it really helps to have a bigger sound, unless you're playing a very quiet seated venue which um sort of limits the audience that you can that can relate to you it seems like you know some of those bigger seated venues tend to be a much older crowd which is great but um it's nice to be able to reach people who want to move their bodies and really helps to to have some deeper grooves in there some drums and bass and but in terms of the electric sound because we also use a lot of electric instrumentation in our trio, which is not the dance version of the band, per se. Um, but to me, it just it adds more character and more flavor than we're able to achieve with just the acoustic instruments. And then also, in contrast to the acoustic instruments, you know, the acoustic 
comes out more of its own in contrast to electric instruments. So you have... Creating dynamics. Yeah, more dynamics, and then you can make weird sounds with the electric instruments, which is fun. We have our pedals, and... You can also... It seems like you have some more control with the electric instruments because it can be so challenging to amplify acoustic instruments and to make them sound good. So if you can really dial in your electric... I think it's more consistent in terms of performance. Do you feel like there's any hostility sometimes from older folks who saw you five years ago and are like, <laughs> what happened to the charming old-timey stuff? Yeah. And sometimes we get that. Yeah, for sure. A little. I think it's it's been, people have been friendlier than I expected to some of the changes we make because they still, I think the the overwhelming impression is from the harmonies. And so as long as you can make sure people are feeling that, you can sneak some other um, more renegade sounds in there without upsetting anyone too much. Well, you guys do a great job also bringing people in with totally out-of-left-field covers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's raining men. <laughs> um, and I'm curious, you know, if there was a band that nobody would expect that you would want to tour with, who would that be? Mm, that's nobody a good question. would expect. Like T Sisters Live with corn. <laughs> Limp biscuit. <laughs> um, ooh. Lady Gaga? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'd be into that. Well, she's actually almost done the reverse thing where she's now going more acoustic and yeah. piano, yes. piano ballad. And, yeah, you know. I like it. Yeah, the Americana sound. She's definitely embodying. Yeah, Joanne, that album's got a lot of good, more rootsy stuff, great production. I think it feels like when bands start touring, you know, full-time and you're doing this and you're getting that 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours maybe, you know, thing where you start to realize even in a five-year stretch how much different you are, mm-hmm. you know, as a performer, as a writer, as yeah. a singer, you know, yeah. um, and have you guys always, do you guys write as a group or do you do certain one of, you know, do you guys come with a song and present it to the other girls? We write separately and we present the tunes to each other and then we arrange together. So the arrangements definitely make the tunes sound more like the band or the trio, um, even though the songs might be very different from each other. And we've experimented a little bit with writing together, and it was fun. We didn't actually end up using any of the tunes that we collaborated (laughs) on. It's easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, they were cool, but they, it's just, there's something about working on your own to kind of just create the the arc of something and then having other people help to, to fill it out and give it identity. But I think it keeps things more interesting to write separately. If... You could describe um, your sensibility, each of you, as a writer. Like, I always remember that article about John Lennon and Paul McCartney, how they're sort of diametrically opposed, sort of lightness and darkness would create this, you know, Hmm. the genius of that. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, how would you describe your sensibility as a writer versus the other sisters? Mm-hmm. Like who's the crazy one? The crazy one. <laughs> the dark, the darkness. <laughs> well, personally, I feel like this is Rachel speaking. That a song usually comes to me 
through movement and listening to the rhythms around me and instead of sitting down and writing out lyrics or playing around with chords on a guitar it usually kind of comes out of my environment first and then that's the seed of something and then I'll go from there you go from like a, almost a rhythm like a percussive percussive rhythm first or just some tune that comes to my mind when I'm walking or if I'm riding my bike or something like that it's it might be more of a, a not a literal rhythm, but the, just a rhythm of the environment around me or some kind of vibe that I'm feeling by moving through my environment. So like, you know, you're drinking in the sounds of the world and distilling it. Exactly. <laughs> what about you guys? Um, well, I've tended to be inspired by poetry and figurative language in, in my writing and I think that I've always tried to avoid cliches although recently I realized that so many great songs have cliches in them and so I've decided that it's okay to use them as long as you uh so they're done in a non-cliche way yeah it's like you have to set it you have to somehow present it a little bit differently, but there's something about that familiarity that people have with certain images that really resonates. So, yeah, I feel like in in trying to maybe capture something a little catchier, <laughs> I've loosened up maybe my ideas about language and how to how to um, put something across. But I really appreciate songs that you listen to twenty times before you really understand what it's saying because you know on the first listen it's like maybe you appreciate the way a couple certain words sound together and then you gradually get to the deeper meaning of something and it really is profound I find so I like to strive for that in my writing do you have any favorite poets um yeah I well let's see I have one song that was influenced by a Rilke poem Rainier Maria Rilke who's a really great turn-of-the-century Czech poet, and um, Akhmatova, she's a Russian poet, she's really a beautiful poet, Um, I really like um, Maya Angelou, it's great, really amazing, yeah, there's a couple. There's a song, uh, So It Goes. Mm. Was that inspired by Vonnegut, or is that just me reading into that? That was totally inspired by Vonnegut. Sweet. Yeah. Good call, Zach. I mean, he's, he's the man. <laughs> totally. <laughs> which which Vonnegut book, specifically? Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah. So it goes. So it, it goes. Was so it goes. Pretty much seeded from that story, the song was. Can you read a couple of those lyrics, like the first verse from that song? Sure. It all began with a big bang and all the subsequent bangs keep ringing. The world goes on just like a song whose only note is just to keep on singing. There's nothing can be done, so it goes. We are now what we'll become, so it goes. 
I think Vonnegut would be totally into that. <laughs> I hope so. There's a I line. So. There's a line in that I think. Uh, What's wound will come undone, mm-hmm. which I really love. Um, before we get, we're not going to skip you. <laughs> I'm curious. Did is that song? Was there anything about like how the world evolved, like like evolution, Big Bang, space? I'm curious, like. Do you think that there's any higher power actually orchestrating how the world came to be? Or is it all chaos? Hmm. Whoa. That's a good question. I think that there's some kind of energetic power out there. I don't... I definitely... I'm actually starting to read the... Well, I haven't started yet. <laughs> I'm I looked at the cover. <laughs> I looked at the cover of the Stephen Hawking. A brief history of time. Brief history of time. So I am. I'm interested mm-hmm. in wrapping my brain around the science, and of course, there's chaos involved in there too. But but I definitely think that scientists have figured out a lot about it. <laughs> so I'd like to understand more. But I like this idea of. What's wound will come undone, like this cycle of repetition and destruction and creation. And that it's all happening at the same same time. time. Talk about your process a little bit. What is my process? How does a song pop into your head? Well, the most recent song I wrote came into my head at three in the morning when I was lying in bed and I couldn't sleep. And so I, you know, I grabbed my phone and I started taking notes on it, like, kind of sleepy, taking notes, writing down the chord progression and the lyrics. And it just, it just, it came after a a fight with my partner. And it was just, you know, it was kind of translating real life experience into some kind of um, poetic musical lens that changes things and that's that's an interesting thing I think that people who are listening sometimes they take songs too literally right They're like oh I'm worried about you or yeah. people used to say to us oh all your songs are about breakups or negative about men you just hate men <laughs> like no that's just that's one song and it reflects some combination of experience and imagined experience and yeah, it's all just taking the fodder of everyday life, and that might be personal experience or um, a story from the news or a book I just read, and filtering that through the poetic and cerebral lens to create some kind of story. So I feel like the story aspect is something I like to follow, and... Um, and sometimes I'll sit down with the guitar and kind of try to write the story on the guitar while I'm coming up with it. Wait, let's go back for a second. You woke up at 3 a.m. and you actually were hearing chords? Yeah. But you, you weren't playing your guitar or anything? No. Were you, you weren't singing out loud? No. But you actually, do you have perfect pitch? No, but I know I know what it sounds like to go to the major three, and I know what it sounds like to go to the minor six. So I just I was composing in my head huh. and just taking note of the chords that that the lyrics would align with. That's and pretty, I didn't have a key cool. in my in my head, but I just said, okay, th- here I'm going to go to the five. Here I'm going to go to the three, and that's something that I've 
been able to hear for a long time, just chord changes, which is very useful in, in songwriting, of course, because you can kind of translate your mood into the right chord and the progression. And Do you feel like having that sort of germ of turmoil in a relationship, not saying, like, you should purposely have fights <laughs> to create good songs, but, like, that sometimes some of the better songs will come out of a bit of darkness in a relationship? Sometimes. I think sometimes that's true. And sometimes great songs will just come out of feeling inspired by the relationship. And I have other songs that have been written after, you know, ruminating on the positive parts of something or being in the early stages of a relationship. So, yeah, the light and the darkness, you need both. That is a funny thing I've heard from a lot of songwriters, myself included, of the waking up in the middle of the night and debating whether or not to <laughs> get out of the comfy yes. covers and be like, do I go to the bathroom and sing this into my phone? <laughs> I don't really want to do that. Yeah, but you don't because you know, it. you know yeah. it's going to be gone yes. in five minutes. I, I know. Because there'll, be, there'll yeah. be times where I'll sing a song into the phone, forget I even did it, and then five days later I actually have no idea what that song was. Like, yeah. and you listen back and you're like, whoa, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's pretty kinda cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. Boons of modern technology. If you had to write a song about the Donald Trump presidency, yeah. what would the title be called? And go. Mm. The Wall. Mm. It's hard to know when to speak out on stage about the yeah. horrible shit that's going on. Yes. I'm curious if you guys feel like you keep it to yourselves in certain regions, mm -hmm. or do you have uh, sort of a cause or something that you like talking about? We do keep it a little quieter in certain regions, uh, and it'll affect the way that we introduce certain songs that may be inspired by maybe the Trump presidency, for example. Um and just hopefully the songs themselves, and I think that they they can be interpreted differently. It shouldn't. It should still resonate. If you can write a song that can resonate with someone, you know, a, and they can make the connection with this evil, idiotic person, or maybe they can that is our president, or maybe they can make that connection with someone else that they, you know, kind of put in that position or. Um, but yeah, you. I think trying to get people to relate to this song in whatever way is meaningful for them is important, and knowing the crowd a little bit, and <laughs> we try to not alienate our audiences when we can. Yeah, we we certainly have. We got a very bad review from this woman after a show. Um, Where? It was in Chico. Oh. It wasn't yeah. a review exactly. It was like a Facebook comment, but. No, well, she she review. wrote a Facebook oh. review of us, which was, um, you know, tore us to shreds, basically, for our perspectives. And she said lots of negative things about our music, too. But that's pretty unusual. We try to, to be more inclusive, generally. I think we're in a unique position because of the type of music that we play. There are a lot of liberal and a lot of conservative people who like this kind of music. And we're like white girls, we're sisters, we seem very innocuous to people. Mm. So we can kind of, I feel like we're in a unique position to kind of um, 
ambassador in certain ways. And I think that's more effective than than just speaking about our politics on stage because that's going to continue divisiveness. But we, we have a way to, you know, we have a few songs. We have a new song that's about division, which is related to what's happening in the country now. But we introduce it as this song is about how do we come back to understanding the humanity in each other. And it's, you know, we don't set it up to say, and things are fucked up because this horrible man and all these people who are, you know, loyal to him regardless of every awful thing that he does. We set it up as this is a challenging time. People really feel the division. It's a really important time to try to remember the humanity in everyone. And I think that's, we're in a better position to do that um, than anything else. I'm curious, um, what is your favorite sing-along that you guys do? Well, we've been doing some rounds lately. Um, Our friend, we haven't been doing this on stage, but it feels worth noting. Our friend in uh, back east when we were on tour back there, he taught us a bunch of rounds. So... um, We've been warming up for shows with them. And at Wintergrass, in our harmony workshop, we taught around, which was very cool. We taught it to the whole audience. There were 100 or more people in this little room. Can you teach us to us? Can you you teach it to us right now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that one? That was the one we did. (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) Oh, doctor, 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 I think I broke my elbow, my elbow, because it will not bend. Oh, doctor, 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 I think I broke my elbow, my elbow, because it will not bend. Oh, doctor, 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 I think I broke my elbow, my elbow, because it will not bend. Oh, doctor, 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 I think I broke my elbow, my elbow, because it will not bend. We didn't really teach it to you, we just no. sang it. Yeah. Do you want to learn it? Is that from like the 19th century or something, or is it actually it, someone wrote it recently? Not sure. <laughs> it's got to be old. We yeah. don't know it's where it's from. Definitely <laughs> one of those that's been passed down through oral tradition for a long time. Through round tradition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we picked up an, a new round when we were at Wintergrass, actually, from from a new friend. And it's kind of a fun thing to share with people. And then sometimes people have one that they learned when they were a kid and just add it to the yeah. to the arsenal of rounds. <laughs> and it's a way to sing harmony with a group of people, with even if those people aren't familiar with harmony singing, because as you go through the round you end up you know when you're on part b of the round and someone else is on part a and you're creating harmonies so it's a really great way to say it is interesting at certain shows where the audience will actually write in their own part (laughs) and it's very consistent no matter where you are that Mm. you in your mind were like oh we're gonna sing this song so far away and they go so far away it's like some sort of weird Mm. A genetic like response, and we're like, no, 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 sing with us. Yeah, and they're like, no, we're singing our part. Yeah, <laughs> and this happens everywhere we go. Wow, really? And we can't figure out why that is. Hmm. So they're singing a counter melody. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's response. cool. Yeah. And now 
the like string players have just started singing that part with them. Nice. Oh, that's great. <laughs> nice. Okay, we're like, what? That's in your songs. Music evolves. Yeah. Yeah, and we do fewer sing-alongs than you guys do. You know, where we kind of monopolize the singing in the band. We don't share it all that frequently. No. But we sing. Uh, Chloe song Hammer has a has a part for the audience, kind of a, a call and response part. <clears throat> yeah. I want to do a little stream of consciousness as uh, as writers. Um, okay. First thing that comes to your head when I say the following words. Do we say it all at once? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you could. But. Yeah. <laughs> Tragedy. Mm. Armenian genocide. Um, Aristophanes. Homeless. Angelic. Cherubim. Um. <laughs> Don't think about it. Sunbeams. <laughs> Cupid. Blizzard. Ooh. Nor'easter. Um, one of those... Like things from Wendy's or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Avalanche. Hot and heavy. Ooh. Sexy time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but bedroom. <laughs> Silky. Do you remember the first concert you went to that rocked your world that made you want to do it? I feel like we we were in the musical theater world, you know, when we were younger. So we weren't necessarily going to a lot of concerts that are similar to what we attend now or what we perform in now. So our music world was just different. Like I didn't, I never had the vision of being in a band. Never. I had the vision of being a singer, you know, but not of being in a band. That was so much later. So I think it's more in later years that I've seen people and gone like, Oh, I want to, like, Lucius, I want to be like that. Or mm-hmm. a Margaret Glasby, I want to, like, shred like her. Well, I remember when we were first getting into it, seeing Laurie Lewis for the first time, and that being the first live music experience of being that close and that connected to somebody who's so amazing and powerful and just the strength of her voice and her band and everything, but seeing also how down-to-earth and humble and cool everybody was and kind of putting down, putting to, bringing down to earth this musician role, like, wow, mm-hmm. this is a person. Now we get to talk to them after the show, and she wants us to sing a song for her? What? This is crazy. And And then I think Strawberry was our first festival just being um just going to the festival because we didn't really grow up going to folk music festivals so that as young adults was our first festival that we went to together and I remember seeing Katie Lang up on stage just being a boss dancing around in yeah you gotta see it to, to know yeah, it can happen just, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. whoa mind blown a couple more weird questions and then we'll get to the writing part do you remember your first breakup. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Like significant breakup or? The first breakup that maybe inspired some art mm, mm-hmm. to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also don't have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> We've all probably moved on. 
Well, I did have a breakup in... When I, I was thinking of my first breakup. I don't know that it inspired art, but <laughs> it was a long time ago, and I totally was too scared to break up with the guy, so I was... Tried to get Chloe to do it for me. Ooh. She wouldn't do it. And so Erica, Is this like high school? This was middle school. Oh, middle school. Yeah. <laughs> I think Erica did it for me, which is shameful. <laughs> I know. Very shameful. Yeah, like how do you pitch how do you pick which sister I just to do the do breakup? It. Chloe was too. Chloe wouldn't do it. She would have been more Believable. Believable, because her voice sounds more like mine, but Erica just was fearless. Wait, so. you're talking about like over the phone? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you would actually, she would pretend she was you? Yeah, it was Ooh, bad. Ooh, sneaky. Was bad. <laughs> Not that effective. Didn't I mean, inspire art? <laughs> I this is better than art. It inspires like Scandal. the hierarchy of the band, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, if something... If someone screws us over, like, I have to go deal with it. Though sometimes Chloe does that stuff, too. But Chloe's I'm more a, the mom. I'm a pretty good diplomat, though. You are a good diplomat. Yeah. I've gotten better since those days of middle school when I just couldn't face up to the to the breakup. <laughs> That's true. Well, talk about your most recent experience of being a, um, having to stand up to someone. That was interesting. This is kind yeah. of tangential, but interesting. There was a, there was a guy at our show when we were when we were on tour up up north recently, and he was very drunk. And he was I felt I walked in when he was already kind of annoying and harassing the girls, just in his drunkenness and being very hovering and too monopolizing close, monopolizing space. of space. And we have to put up with some of that sometimes. You're sitting out there at the merch table by yourself as a woman. You're a magnet for drunk guy who thinks that you want to talk to him. And so then I I left to go pack up my stuff, and Chloe was out there by herself, and I was thinking, "Uh uh-oh, Chloe's out there by herself. And this guy's hovering, hovering around, being really drunk, kind of um, intimidating in a way because we don't know this person and we don't know, you know, he was drunk. He was not in his right mind and just didn't get the picture that we didn't want to talk to him. Um, And then eventually he's dancing crazy and spills beer on Chloe and, Mm. and I'm thinking, this guy is not coming back to talk to us. I'm not allowing this person to come into our space anymore. And after a little while, he tries to come back, and I just say, we don't want to talk to you. You need to go away. And it was interesting because we had another guy like that a few shows before, and we were trying to give him that message, but in a little more of a passive way, and he wasn't getting it at all. And this guy actually went away. Then we got an email from him the next day apologizing for his behavior, and saying I have a drinking problem that was I really loved your show and I just wanted to talk to you but I was really inappropriate and all this stuff so it was a good lesson for us in in being assertive assertive and direct 
Because as women, we are so used to just putting up with it, even if you feel really uncomfortable. And sometimes... Especially if you're trying to... Like, part of the trade of being a musician is, like, being a good person. Like, don't be shitty to people because it's all about your fans and your people you connect with. So if someone thinks you're a jerk, they're not going to come to your shows. And not that we're all jerks disguising ourselves as nice people, but I think it's important to be nice to people, and we all we all know that. We get that. We want to do that anyway, but so there's a temptation to to be overly forgiving of inappropriate things because you're like, okay, I don't want to come off as a jerk here. I'm, I'm some level of public figure, not a very high level, but some <laughs> level of public figure. Um, so it just complicates things. Well, so much of this, you know, uh, Me Too movement feels like there's this impossible situation that a lot of female artists are in where they... Mm-hmm have to put up with a certain amount of the male gaze and the male aggression Mm -hmm. to rise in the ranks that are often controlled by men, right? And, yeah, and I feel at times, you know, at shows, yeah, your responsibility is to be friendly at all times Mm -hmm. so people will buy things, so people (laughs) will tell their friends to come back. And if any hostility is thrown their way, there's always the risk that they're going to tell everyone not to come back, right? People will badmouth you, for sure. And I feel like, do you guys have the, do you have the moment at certain shows where uh, you have to band together to sort of push away these hostile elements? Because it probably happens more for you guys than for me, for sure. You know? Yeah. Definitely. We try to, we, I mean, we try to make sure that we're not abandoning just one person to the merch area. And that's kind of, that can be a challenge just logistically. Um, But I mean, this situation that Rachel's talking about, I had seen what was going on because the guy was trying to do the same thing to me. And I was able to shake him and then he was starting to do the same thing to Chloe and I had to go do something else. And I said to the people around her, keep an eye on this person and make sure, like, I, please intervene here because I need to go do this thing. So we are keeping an eye on each other, and obviously Rachel stepped in. And um, But the difficulty is that the, the threats are sometimes really subtle because they come from nice people, and that's... Like, if someone is openly rude, it's easier to confront them. But if someone is kind of presenting as nice but what they're doing is questionable that's really where it's harder or they've never been challenged about their behavior probably their whole lives yeah Yeah. or they're they're acting like they're your friend and they're just doing something that's kind of it's on the line you know that's when it gets really hard i feel like to to just know what to do even if there's people around you because you're like yeah is this wrong how, should I call it out, or is that going to make it worse? Yeah, I think it. I think it's about power and respect. And oftentimes, us having been on stage, you know, for the most part, people there is some respect there, and that we have kind of uh, an elevated power from having been on stage. So you, for most people 
kind of you get that that sense of maybe respect or reverence right. and then it's when somebody it's almost like they want to knock you down a notch yes. by asserting their own power over you like i remember we were playing yes. one show in in utah and it was kind of a terrible show but um the thing that made it even more terrible was just you try to present yourself as confident and try to be confident on stage and sometimes it's more of an act than other times but this guy was just leaning against the stage and it just felt like he was kind of trying to assert his power or his dominance somehow and it's like no it's not your turn to do that you know we're we've got the floor now and it felt like he was deliberately kind of trying to undermine our power in that moment yeah felt very very strange I think the respect thing is big and I something that I've noticed is that um younger men tend to be more respectful so that's interesting to me because you know being when we're in high school or in college obviously we dealt with a lot of young men who were really disrespectful all of us, even though we had, you know, great male friends, like we saw a lot of fucked up shit and as every girl has, woman has. And so you would kind of think that a younger man who's like the same age as us or similar age would be more leering and trying to like hook up or whatever absurd thing. But what I've noticed is that often the younger men are, they feel that respect more and they're kind of they are a little bit more deferential, and the men who tend to cross the line tend to be older. They're like, I'm your father's age, and so kind of like talk down to you, like, or, or grandfather, perhaps <laughs> the case may be usually more like that. But they, they feel that they have this position of power because they've been the patriarch for so many years. And that's where I tend to feel like the, the weird situations come from, is these men who view us as like, you know, I love what you do, but I can still, I'm still more powerful with regard to you because my age and my gender, and and they're not thinking that, but they're acting that way. That's an interesting thing that I've noticed. What are your favorite, uh, where's your favorite music town right now? Where do you like playing the most? Hmm. Maybe besides your home market. That's a good question. Favorite music town? It's been our most fun show recently. Bend was really fun. Bend, Oregon? Mm-hmm. Hay Fork. <laughs> yeah, Hay Fork, California is pretty awesome. Where is it? It's in the mm-hmm. Emerald Triangle. Really random. Still don't know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's between nowhere. Uh, the 5 and the 101. You take this little curvy 299. It's about halfway between the 5 and 101. We tend to have a lot of fun in the small towns. You know, big cities, people are more jaded. It's harder to it's harder to move them. A lot of arms crossed. Yeah. yeah, but people really let loose in, you know, barns and grange halls and weird alternative venues and kind of out there places. Yeah. So I don't know that we have a favorite town. Burlington, Vermont's pretty Burlington cool. Burlington was pretty great. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, we're going to do one little writing exercise, and then we'll do a song. Cool. So... Everyone's going to write down the same first line. Okay. The cake was filled with her lover's blood. Ooh. Furiously scribbling. <laughs> mm. That's fun. <laughs> and uh, Chloe, why don't you start? 
Alright. The cake was filled with her lover's blood. Her face was caked with a smile. The knife in her hand felt heavy, the blade sharp, and she was restless. The dinner had gone well. The first course was lasagna with meat sauce. The wine was dry and faintly musty. The guests were chatting contentedly at the table. Don't get up, she insisted. I'll take care of the dishes later. Um, oh. The frosting on the cake was a cream cheese frosting. Melt in your mouth, delicious. Who likes red velvet? All hands went up. A stretched out salute to her murderous deed. The knife sunk in easily to the cake, having lost the resistance of live flesh. Where's Troy tonight, they asked. Oh, he's tied up at work tonight. Ooh. <laughs> Literally. I didn't get to the him being tied up yet. <laughs> never, never write when you haven't had lunch. Yes. <laughs> Who wants to go next? I can go. I like how you wrote sideways, the opposite way that the lines go on the paper. What does that say about you? Any lines keep me in in line. <laughs> True. The cake was filled with her lover's blood, and the smell of hot iron filled her nostrils as she pulled the piping hot pie from the steaming oven. Thinking of their rendezvous only hours before, a tingle went up her spine as she cut a sticky slice from the pan and placed it under the windowsill to cool. Would he return? Did she care? She stared blankly at the triangular piece steaming the window while a light fluffy snow blew off the trees outside. She heard the creak of the front door and a patter of heavy boots down the hallway the sound growing louder and then softer again as she heard the bedroom door shut with a thud. Mm. Mm. I like that the sirens coming by were like, <laughs> the cops are on to her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she didn't kill him. She didn't kill him. Or did she? Maybe. Or did she? <clears throat> all right, well, we all went in the dark direction with this. <laughs> I believe Zach. <laughs> he knew where we would go. The cake was filled with her lover's blood. She slowly sliced, savoring the droplets that splashed the tablecloth. Have a taste, my love, and fed him a morsel, smiling his tears, laughing at his fear. You'll never betray me again, my love, and caressing his cheek, blood dripping onto her cool hand. The air was warm, and the cat lolled on the window seat, bored and hot, and he sat there, unable to move watching his lover devour him in pieces, gleefully and lightly. Tomorrow will be my wedding day, she hummed, feeding him another bite of the burgundy cake. By now her wedding dress was spattered with his blood, his devotion secured, she thought, for all eternity. What a wonderful time we'll have, my love. And his tears mixed with his blood, salt and life commingling. Whoa. I mean, yours, yours had musical <laughs> accompaniment. That's not fair. <laughs> so Sorry, she I cheated. him himself? Kind of. Ooh. Ooh. Do you ever uh, read Titus Andronicus? I have not. No. Shakespeare. Mm. Intense. He knows about fucked some, up. Some cannibalism going on there. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> nice. What is, what is the weirdest thing you guys have eaten? 
Hmm. All right, you eat a little too healthy then. <laughs> Clearly. Um, we had the some lamb testicles. Where was uh, that? And eyeballs. That was Rachel's roommate in college. She, she slaughtered, slaughtered a lamb. lamb. So we tried all the parts. The, uh, what do they call them? Rocky Mountain Oysters? Yeah. Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> Shall we do a song? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are we gonna sing? I don't know. Do you want uh, a guitar or anything, or do you want to do an acapella? Um, we just do an acapella. Yeah. Which song? Do so it goes. Mm-hmm. It all began with a big bang And all the subsequent bangs keep ringing The world goes on just like a song Whose only note is just to keep on singing There's nothing can be done so it goes, we're now what will become. So it goes, and the wars rage on, the bullets fall like rain. And the song plays on, you can hear the ring in the rain. The firestorm. Opens the door to other worlds where they are not pretending to think that time moves in a line where we all know the spiral's never ending. There's nothing to overcome, so it goes. What's wound will come undone, so it goes. And the wars rage on, all the blood and all the pain. And the song plays on with a tune that's always the same. Well, there they go. Oakland's finest, the T-Sisters. You can go to tsisters.com for their music and more of their tour dates. And uh, there's a really cool video premiere on the bluegrasssituation.com of the first single from their self-titled record. Uh, it's called The Road, and it's a really beautiful video. Check it out. And as I mentioned earlier, they have a new EP coming out March 15th, produced by Oliver Wood of the Wood Brothers. And they're going to be celebrating with a big release show in San Francisco, Swedish American Hall, March 16th. So check it out. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Chi. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. 
New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.